Patsy to Ferrets is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, so the smoke is clear. We are watching the dust settle. It is quieted down. The ink is drying on free agency. Tuesday night, March 21st, we are more than a week into free agency. Most of the big business is done. Still some big questions lingering, but the Patriots, as predicted on this podcast, had one mid-level trade. Could have another one still coming. John Smith out the door. One splash signing, Juju Smith-Schuster. Welcome aboard. Mike Kosicki, kind of a secondary signing. We didn't get to cover him last week with the NFL Network's Mike Giardi. One year, up to $9 million. Certainly a lot of incentives in there. And that's about it. They're bringing back the squad on defense. Virtually every free agent has re-signed except for Jacoby Myers. So long. And Devin McCourty, who retired. Awesome, awesome ceremony today at the Patriots Hall of Fame. And they built back their offensive tackle depth. We already talked about Riley Reef, Calvin Anderson. We didn't even give a grade to in the last episode. But this is basically it. And so we can largely say, based on their actions and their inactions, like coming close to Andre Dillard, what the plan was. But to get a little help in piecing this back together and figure out not only what the Patriots wanted in free agency, what they might do in the draft, but really where they see themselves today. I made some calls last few days, people around the league, within the team, around the team, to try to put those pieces together. So what I have here for you today are my notes from those calls. Some post-free agency intel, even though we could still have another shoe drop, another cliche, drink, um, and then an interview. With the Ringers, Brian Barrett, we did a 3-2-1 breakdown of where we are in the offseason. 3-2-1 is normally what we say for every game ahead of the season. Today it was three things we feel like we could guarantee about the 2023 Patriots. Essentially, it's late March, but I think you'll be, you'll be on board with most of these. Two things we need to know before they really hit the field in the summer for training camp. And then one thing, one storyline that's being overlooked, a little under-discussed as everyone's looking over here at Lamar Jackson. And, oh, that shiny thing that's still DeAndre Hopkins hanging out in Arizona doesn't know where he's going next, where there's more substance to this. And Brian and I actually agreed on that. But before we get to my intel, before we get to Brian Barrett, what we can say definitively about the 2023 Patriots, I can say definitively this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com backslash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. You've heard me say this before. It's still true. You can have a $200 bonus if you just put down a $5 deposit. Bet that. And then within 72 hours, you'll get that $200 bonus in cash if you go to FanDuel.com backslash Boston. They've been great to us so far, helping the podcast grow. If you enjoy us here at Pass Interference, support the people that support us. It's that simple. Okay, on to the intel. So, again, they bring aboard Juju Smith-Schuster. They see as an upgrade over Jacoby Myers, as all of us wrote after the move was made for the Patriots, really came down to yards after catch. And a player with a higher ceiling who can give more for them, that's fairly obvious, Mike Kosicki, they feel confident is a piece they can move around. Bill O'Brien recruited him back when he was in high school, and Bill O'Brien was a head coach at Penn State. There's familiarity there. He's also a player like James Robinson, where they bought low on. This was a good move from the instance if it's just a one-year contract, up to $9 million is a figure that's always thrown around. You and I both know that's baked in with a lot of incentives and money that's never just going to be realized. So for the Patriots, I don't love the overlap through what's really two big slots, but they see Juju as someone who can compete and play outside. We'll see how well that goes. How does he perform now that he's got all the money? 
TBD, talked about it last week with the NFL Network's Mike Giardi. But because of these upgrades, there was a clear focus here to upgrade at tight end. Again, their first move was send John o. Smith packing down to Atlanta. They've upgraded with their receiving tight end. They've upgraded in their eyes at receiver. And from what I have heard, are pretty happy with their pass catching group as a whole. Not only because of the Juju Smith-Schuster acquisition and Mike Kosicki coming along too, but they see with Bill O'Brien aboard, some people in the building believe that this was a 10 to 11 win team last year with the group that they had, if Bill O'Brien was there. Now with him here and some additions, this is the team they feel confident going in is feeling we have enough. We have good pieces here. It's not just those two or three. Hunter Henry should bounce back from his worst worst season of his career. Kendrick Bourne, total nosedive, should be on the way up. Tyquan Thornton, your two lead. I'm not saying I agree with all this. I'm telling you there is significant hope and belief in that building and all of those players, plus Devontae Parker, who they are very, very high on. So when you consider their acquisitions, their feelings about that group internally, as well as all the players they brought back in defense, because the plan there was very simple. It's not swapping out anyone at tight end or at receiver. It's just run it back. Everyone except for Devin McCourty, who retired. Awesome ceremony today uh, down at Gillette. Is back. That that was it. It was that simple. Let's re-sign it, run it back, get guys who are going to continue to ascend. We talked about them, Uche, Duggar, Barmore, and let's see what we got. Supplemented those with some special team signings. But the bigger picture is the Patriots feel like they've got a good team here. Which then, and making some other calls about, okay, well, how do they feel about Dender Hopkins coming aboard? What about Jared Judy? Uh, doubtful. Doubtful is the word I kept running into making calls about people who were sometimes rejecting what the Patriots might do, or some people who are closer to them saying, if you look at Belichick's history at the position, there is no way in hell, as good as DeAndre Hopkins has been, and as much as we all love that clip of Belichick and Hopkins loving up with one another back in Arizona in December, that he's going to give him $19.1 million. And so include the draft equity, which seems like it's going to come down from the projections of the second round pick we all thought Arizona would get. Maybe Arizona expected it would get because Brandon Cooks just went for a fifth and a sixth. But even if Hopkins agrees to a restructure, which he reportedly is open to, Belichick's cap for spending at receivers about 11 to $12 million per year. That is a huge pay cut for someone of DeAndre Hopkins' stature to take so why would the patriots be willing to pay anything more than they've done as good as hopkins ends when they've already felt they've made an upgrade they feel really good about where they are from a pass catching standpoint again they don't just see it as a number one receiver or just a receiving core like we all talk about they feel good about their offense as a whole they needed to address their offensive tackle depth i think i still think they're going to draft one for a guy who would come in not only as your highest paid receiver but one of the highest paid players on your team is on the wrong side of 30, never really separates well. Mike Lombardi said it today in his podcast, always a good tell for what Belichick is thinking. Still catches the ball anyway, excellent player. It's just it's just not going to happen. I would say that with even greater certainty that it's not going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr., who's had two ACL tears the last couple of years, is around the same age 30 neighborhood. Not a place to, bad place to be as a sports writer, you at home. Very bad place to be for someone coming off an injury and playing receiver, not to mention, the guy that we all remember early in his career has been MIA the last five or six seasons. Okay, that dynamic player. You didn't even really see him in Cleveland. So why would the Patriots, who probably feel like you could get four players to perform at the level of whatever Odell Beckham Jr. is going to do in the year 2023, add another player of that caliber for someone who wants to be paid like the guy who was 
back during the uh, late Obama administration. As for Jerry Judy, the report from Benjamin Albright of Denver's KOA-FM, and this is reading from a story from Mary Kay Cabot, Cleveland.com. Awesome, awesome reporter, has been for a long time. She writes, but Albright reports that the Broncos would listen to an offer for a second round pick and a player, which the Browns could possibly pull off. The Broncos supposedly at least pondered an offer for a second and fourth rounder, possibly from the Patriots. Okay, so this is the latest spark, ember, that sets Twitter ablaze in New England for a week. I would just look at two words here. Forget that this is a, you know, a Cleveland reporter talking about something in Denver, passing on a report from someone in Denver. The words are supposedly and possibly. The Broncos supposedly pondered which is really weak on his own, an offer possibly from the Patriots. Look, I'm in on Judy. I was arguing for Hopkins as a way to shake up the offense. I just don't see this happening. And this is such a weak report with all the qualifiers and the babies. It's just not worth listening to. This could ramp up. Maybe the Patriots, whatever the offer is, they've been on the phone about Judy. We know that. You know, Denver comes down to meet them at that level. He's a player who's younger. He would be cost controlled. You don't have the money issues like you would historically or would with Hopkins or probably OBJ. And he's someone that has familiarity with Mac Jones. Checks a lot of boxes here, okay? But that just, it doesn't say anything to me. I think they would still be most interested in Judy of all those, even though Judy plays a slot. Now you've really got two big slots in Juju and Kasicki. The larger point here, again, is they're happy with what they've got. I think they would have to feel like they want to trade if they're looking into acquiring any more of these guys, and that's where I'll leave it. Okay, so... um on Friday, Patriots released Jalen Mills. I call it a surprise on Twitter. Something else called about. Uh, Phil Perry, friend of the podcast, NBC Sports Boston. Had his third kid, by the way. Congratulate him if you have not. Uh, I say that only because we talked about it on the podcast, not some sort of random fun fact about Phil and his wife, Whit. He reported the Patriots were not thrilled about Jalen Mills' injury situation, which kept him out after Thanksgiving as they were trying to limp into the playoffs uh, and obviously didn't make it there. I can confirm this because this was also something that I tweeted. I had a hard time seeing this as purely cap motivated because the Patriots saved whoop-de-doo $5 million in cap space as a team that's still not spending outside the bottom eight this year in terms of active cash flow. They're down in the middle of the pack now in cap space, but they don't really need it as the way you would think they would just by cutting a player who's been a solid number two corner uh, for most of the last two years. It was the injury. And I think there was some erosion of goodwill between the two sides over the last year or so. Um, what that is exactly, I don't know, but I can confirm my suspicions and Phil's report that this was not strictly about the cap. This was a situation that the Patriots go, you know, if we're considering cutting you, the tiebreaker is going to be how are things going with the coaching staff and with Belichick and what do you project to do next year? Because again, as we talked about, he was ready to ship Rob Gronkowski to NFL Siberia in Detroit in the spring of 2018 because he had just had enough for Gronk. They had had enough of Jalen Mills, for better or worse. He's out in New England. The Patriots still need a corner. And uh, the draft is coming up, and I would be very surprised they don't have one day one or day two. So they feel good about their pass catching group. Jalen Mills is out of here, not just for cap reasons. Um, the last one I'll say is this. I had mentioned to a number of people that, you know, we're all calling the Patriots the fourth worst team in the division. How can you make the playoffs? You can't make the playoffs from last. I mean, technically, if you were all three wildcard teams, but inevitably you're just going to beat up on each other behind that division winner. 
I don't think the Patriots are as concerned about Aaron Rodgers as everyone else is. And I say this knowing Belichick has had more glowing things to say about Aaron Rodgers than virtually anybody else in the league. But some people close to the Patriots say they see him as a declining player and someone that, yeah, you face twice a year. That's great. They face the Jets twice a year the last eight years. The Jets have not beaten them since the Obama administration. Okay. They respect the talent, the roster building, the pursuit. That's great. But to them, until the Jets actually beat them, they're still the same old Jets. And as good as Aaron Rodgers is, they were very, very close to beating him last year in Green Bay with Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi in his first NFL action uh, in early October. So I was surprised by that. I'll pass it on. You take it for whatever it's worth. Again, it's not a direct report, but I just don't think they're as moved by this as the rest of us are. So that's it. That's my list. Uh, here comes Brian Barrett from The Ringer. We had a good chat. Go check out Brian off the pike, and uh, he'll be back at some point. Brian Barrett of The Ringer is here, host of Off the Pike Boston Sports Podcast. You can listen to Brian multiple times a week. Spotify, of course, is preference, uh, but also Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Little home at home here. I joined Brian last week on his podcast, talking about juju, usage, for agent signings. We have a little bit of that today. Before we get to that, however, you have spent, as far as I can tell, Brian, most of your career as a podcast host. Uh, I find both working as a guest, as I did last week for you as a host now, liberating in a sense. It's like driving the car. You know, you get to change the speed, everything that's going on, control where you're going versus just kind of playing with the music and looking out the window. But hosting versus guest, what, where am I going to get the different Brian Barrett today versus what I got last week? Well, I mean, I guess you're driving the bus man so you can take me in all sorts of different directions that i'm not ready to go like usually when i'm hosting i know exactly where i'm gonna go right i mean you could throw a curveball at me and i gotta see if i can hit a off-speed pitch we've seen that with some red sox in the past they can't hit off-speed pitches so i hopefully i'm ready to go man but you gave me a pretty steady rundown of where we're gonna go here so i feel good about that but i will say this callahan before we get started you're doing better than me right now man because your team, UConn Huskies, man, Sweet 16. My team's my team's not even in the NIT in Syracuse. So you're doing a lot better than me this week. So this is where I know the same guy is playing the same hits because we went to college basketball instantly, which puts a smile and did, as the folks at YouTube know, on my face because you do that with your podcast before UConn got to the Sweet 16, first time since 2014. Uh, it's been great. And, yeah, I guess we should talk more college hoops, but we'll text you more during these games because it's been it's been a blast. It's where my heart is. I grew up writing stories right on campus. He went to high school on campus. Shout out EO Smith. EO Smith, girls high school basketball. Shout out first state championship. Uh, one good family friend of mine is the assistant coach. That was Sunday at Mohegan Sun. Anyway, as I am now the driver, we are off-roading into girls' high school college basketball in the first <laughs> five minutes. So let's get back on track. Um, as people could see if they read the description, we are going to talk about guarantees for the 2023 Patriots. And this is super early. All the qualifiers, it's late March. Free agency isn't even over. The draft is more than a month away. But I think largely, you know, for the Patriots who've had this offseason plan for two months now, you know, they know they need to execute the big parts of these. We are, of course, learning what that plan is as they continue to make actions or inaction in the case of certain signings that we thought maybe they would jump at. Mike McGlinchey, Juwan Taylor, all those offensive linemen. Turns out part of the plan was Riley Reef. who know. Um, but with those guarantees, with the actions that they've made and likely will in the draft, looking at receiver corner, probably still an offensive tackle, what do we know for sure? So this will be the old 3-2-1 breakdown for people who followed us for the game previews. You did one of these when you first came on during the season. Three guarantees, uh, two things we still need to know before this summer. I think we said mini camp. Let's bump it forward to training camp. 
And then what's one topic about the Patriots now that's being overlooked, under-discussed, however you want to put it, that deserves a little bit more airtime as we kind of get in a dead zone here for agency the draft. I don't know if you like this period because it's calmer. You can really jump into the draft. Like, I like the freedom here. Um, but uh, what about all that grabby before we get into three guarantees? Yeah, I like what's going on in terms of this time of the year because now I get to catch up on my draft prep, right? Like, the free agency period is already – kind of gone by and the Patriots didn't get a number one receiver, which is something I wanted to see them to do. So now I'm like digging into other receivers at the collegiate level right now and who they could possibly get in 14. And would they go for a guy at 14? Considering the fact that last year, of course, we know they took Taekwon Thornton in the second round. So would they actually do that again? So I don't have a problem with this time of the year, especially to like, you got everything else going on. So I kind of like how you have the free agency frenzy. It goes nuts. And then it's like, okay, we got a little time now to get ready for the draft. So I, I'm not against like how the NFL operates its calendar. In fact, I like free agency before the draft, unlike the NBA. Oh, completely, completely. I think this is the way it should inform teams need to fill the roster holes immediately and then look long-term given the success of failure of that. But honestly, you know, you, you would never want a year where you skip the draft, but I think that's the way you want to play it out. Teams, short-term needs adjusted for agency, the draft, where we always hear, we're just going to take the best player available. doesn't matter if he's a punter or a long snapper, we'll take him because that's how we run our boards. It's not the case. There's a little bit of need mixed in there, but it's more of a longer-term needed projection. So that is not one of my guarantees that the Patriots will take a long-term view as they typically do in the first round. Um, We'll get into more draft stuff later. But when I ask you this question, the first thing that popped in your mind, your number one guarantee about the 2023 Patriots is this moment, Tuesday night, March 21st, is blank. My number one is going all the way back to bringing in Bill O'Brien, which means Callahan, there are going to be more layups in the offense yes. for the Patriots. Because on there my were list. none of those last. Yeah, there were none of those last year. And you start to think about it in terms of an RPO game, in terms of a play action game. Things that were not utilized last year, Mac Jones last year, 4.3% of his dropbacks were in RPOs. That's obviously a very small number, just 19 dropbacks in total. You look at some of the other guys, Hertz had 69, Tua had 43. I point those guys out because, of course, they came from the Alabama offense as well. With Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson back in 19, 517 passing yards out of RPOs, which is third. And here's the big one, Matt Jones. You realize he's like one of the best RPO passers of all time at the collegiate level. Like it's stupid. He was 73 of 78 in 2020. That's over 93%. He completed in terms of his passes, 890 yards, 10 touchdowns, no picks, almost a perfect passer rating and really good in the play action game at Alabama as well. And he was 39th out of 41 quarterbacks in terms of drop back percentage on a play action last year. So that's my number one thing is there are going to be more easy opportunities. They're going to go after the stuff that most teams in the NFL went after last year, but the Patriots decided not to with Matt Patricia or looking back at your story in the Herald, Matt Patricia and company were unqualified to be able to put those layups into the offense. Yeah. Great points all around the Patriots grabbing for that low hanging fruit. As I referenced last week in your podcast was number one on my list. I think you, you call them layups, whatever you want. They're not going to leave as many points on the field as they did last year, largely due to coaching. We've all written that story or read it or referenced it. Okay. That's in the past now, but my second point is tied to that. And that you know, obviously that'll be cured by the coaching of Bill O'Brien, who's 
probably not a top five, maybe not even top 10 offensive coordinator, but he's certainly not dead last, which was the setup they had last year (laughs) due to inexperience (laughs) and just being ill-equipped for that job. So that's a huge improvement. The other area in which they're not only just going to grab the low-hanging fruit, which, mind you, sometimes isn't RPO. Sometimes there's diminishing returns in those type of plays because of the defense you're facing. It could be more man coverage or just, you know, say it's the Eagles defense, like you referenced a ton from Jalen Hurst or used to it. They're going to diversify the offense. Like you are going to see a wider breadth of plays as opposed to the same script of plays that were disconnected where the play action passes are not built off of the same run actions for the most part or not as strongly with the wide zone in the boots that they never, ever ran. And you'll see them skip over things like, Hey, we can have little Jordan Humphrey play as a de facto tight end, which again, don't want to go back to last year, but the stuff that, you know, almost got to be overthought and like, Oh, we'll take this approach and just run a bunch of 12, but it's disguised as 11, you know? And so that's the thing you you will get the low hanging fruit in addition to the opposite end of that, of, I guess the high hanging fruit. Do we ever call it that? What are the tip top fruit, the, the, the sweetest, the, I guess you can call it that. I've never heard of that, but I didn't think we get a little Jordan Humphrey reference either. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah, People forget there was a lot that happened (laughs) since September, 2022, but I'm double dipping here in offense because I think the points are equally important. We can talk about them, you know, getting back on track. It's because they're going to do the simple things better. And they're also going to do more complex things um, more smoothly. Will it all work? Who knows? But I think it'll just be a better balance with more experience and stuff that we've talked about. So that's my number one and two. What was your two? My number two is I still believe they're going to have a lot of trouble defending receivers in the division because of the fact that, and look, Ramsey wasn't going to come here, right? We look at some of the other guys. Darius Slay probably was never going to come here. Dean ends up going back to the Bucs, and who knows if he's really a true number one corner. But you look at this division, and you have Garrett Wilson, you have Tyreek Hill, and Waddle in Miami, Diggs in Buffalo. Hill last year, 12 for 94 in the Pats in the opener when they actually had a real quarterback in two and not Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. In that game, Waddle, four for 69 at a touchdown. Stephon Diggs owns the Patriots, seven for 104 and nine for 92 last year. Both games, he had a touchdown. Garrett Wilson with Zach Wilson in a game against the Patriots last year had six receptions for 115 yards with Zach Wilson as the quarterback. That's how good Garrett Wilson is, right? And the Patriots right now, Jack Jones, good rookie year. You have Marcus Jones, more equipped to play in the slot. And Jonathan Jones, maybe he moves to free safety, maybe play some corner. But we know this. He's not a number one guy that can defend on the outside. So unless they go into the draft with that 14th overall pick and look at whether it's Christian Gonzalez, whether it's Witherspoon, the kid out of Illinois. We've obviously heard Joey Porter Jr., the connection, the former NFL player and all that. And the other thing would be one of those guys has to instantly be, I'm not saying Sauce Gardner, but be a legitimate bona fide number one corner. We don't even know if they're going to take a corner at 14. So I just feel like based on all the intel we have right now, it does feel like they're going to struggle against those elite receivers and let's face it this division is stockpiled with really good receivers and it's only going to get better next year it is and that was actually my third point which i'll pivot from now because you know i could list off that the worst team in the afc last year the jets was still 16th by dvoa like the last team above average in the entire nfl and now they're going to get aaron Rodgers. naturally they should be better miami and buffalo both in the top eight even though miami was 26th the year before uh the patriots fell from fourth in 2021 to 15th last year i think the division will be better that's obvious enough let's guarantee this specifically about the patriots so my third is that the defense which you just alluded to the, the questions at corner is still going to be powered by this pass rush. And we see Matt Judon 
go from career year to career year. Josh Uche joined him last year with 11 and a half sacks. Dietrich White had seven and a half, even though he tailed off with, you know, those sack totals late in the year, the pressure was as consistent, if not more consistent than everyone else in the roster. Juwan Bentley, they really utilize as a blitzer. He gets three sacks, matches his total number of pressures last season as he did in any other season before him by like Thanksgiving. So I think the pieces are there. They're relying on their front to carry them again. And it'll be really interesting to see the balance of man to zone coverage. Because the last two years, Brian, they've gone from, yeah, we love man. We're only going to play man. We're a man defense. Second half of the season, they're playing maybe not by rate, not by percentage, but by total number of snaps. Some among, you know, one of the highest zone teams in the entire NFL. And part of that's Miami because you're just going, we're not lining up one-on-one with Tyree Kill and Jalen <laughs> These guys who are still shaking hands with a name tag in the locker room. Shout out Andre <laughs> Mosley. Like, that's just not going to happen. But I think they also found uh, a formula in there. And it's not going to be, we're going to play as much zone as the Niners or the Rams or the Jets or whomever. But you're just not going to go out and add a number one corner, even if you draft one and he started caliber. Jonathan Jones is on the opposite side. And maybe he's not. Maybe he's at safety and you need someone to replace him. Could be Jack Jones, Panda Jack, as he's known at the ringer. Um, But ultimately, what you can count on is the front. And I think it gets better. It's more developed. Christian Barmore, who people forget about, you get that year three leap that you saw from Duggar and Uche. I think with a guy like that, and you're, you're cooking with gas up front. Yeah. No, I agree with you. So, you want me to get to my last guarantee here? Yep. So, my last guarantee is that the 50-50 balls, the jump balls, are going to continue in the Patriots' offense, right? (laughs) They doubled down. Last year, they got Devontae Parker, and then this year, they bring in Mike Gusecki. And we know the connection. Bill O'Brien recruited him at Penn State, 6'6", almost 250. So, you almost remove last year from his statistical profile because he was like, below 50% of the snaps with Mike McDaniel, but 2020, 17 contested catches, second among tight ends. 2021, 15 contested catches, tied for second among tight ends. I do think it's interesting, like, maybe this is somebody they think can really help them in the red zone. We all know the Patriots were dead last in the NFL in touchdown percentage in the red zone. There are limitations with Gusecki. He's going to give you nothing after the catch. Like, he's not going to do stuff, like, after he catches the football. But when I do look at it, obviously... (laughs) They had Jonu Smith last year. They gave them absolutely nothing. So Gusecki is not really like a need for this team. I much rather have gone after a number one receiver, but I do think with a quarterback that is like someone limited, it's nice to have a guy that you can just throw the ball up to. And I think he helped in the middle of the field too, right? Like when he's got a smaller defender on him, throw him up and we'll see how comfortable Mac is with them because I did feel like him and Parker developed a better rapport later on in the season at the beginning Mac, it just felt like he was trying to always throw to Parker. And remember, he had those four interceptions all early in the season yeah. when targeting his Parker. Fir- his then- first four interceptions were some weren't entirely Devontae Parker's fault, but one, the one in Baltimore in the end zone, absolutely was. And you're just going, this could not be off to a worse start because then Mac's <laughs> hurt. You can't even develop chemistry with him. And if we're not doing the one thing Devontae Parker's been known for the whole season, that's an issue. Mind you, Mike Kosicki you know, again, big slot receiver is going to be known for it. And I think you hit it on the head with the 50-50 balls. Like, that's what he's going to be doing. So I think his, you know, Devontae had a better connection with Mac later on, even that Buffalo game. I was re-watching that tape the other day. They had a safety over the top, like Devontae Parker had just fudged his 40 time from college, and they just discovered the page had been refreshed. But nonetheless, it, it, it will be an interesting barometer because those guys have a, a unique, more limited skill set. And if it doesn't go well early, you know, it's probably how it's going to be the rest of the year. Yeah, I just hope that he gives them 
something because Hunter Henry last year, like I thought he had an okay season considering he was, I thought he had a really good first year here. Not that he's going to change the landscape for the team, but I thought he was really productive. Maybe some of that was Matt Patricia, but just having a guy that's that athletic. I mean, I was looking at it. He was number two at the whole combine when he was there in terms of his vertical leap. So that was obviously a big thing going back to when he was coming out of the collegiate level. So I, I, I wasn't like enamored by the move, but I kind of like it. I mean, give Mac another weapon. I mean, I keep saying Mac needs more weapons, so I can't complain when they get them. Okay. We have three things we think we know. We're probably wrong on some of them. That's how it goes in March. But I think for the most part, we're, we're on target. Two things we need to know either before the minicamp comes and everyone's required to attend in June, or you can push it to training camp, your choice. What do we got? Okay, the first one I have is, who are the leaders, right? Like Devin McCourty's gone and he played 97% of the snaps. So like on the field, he's basically the captain of the defense, right? He was the captain for all these years here and he's in charge of a lot of stuff going on back there. So I think that's a major question mark on the offensive side. I guess it's going to land on David Andrews, but obviously Mac needs to show some maturation when it comes to the leadership. Obviously people were not happy in that building with Mac last year in the attitude. So that's one of my big ones. And then the other one I would say is this Callahan is, what do we make of Tyquan Thornton? Like, I want to get the reports. Tyquan Thornton has put on 10 pounds of muscle. He's working out with this guy and that guy, and he looks good because you use a second-round pick on a receiver. Yeah, it's not a first-round pick, but last year is basically a lost year because of the injury and the Patricia situation. But you look at it, first-year receivers last year, Wilson's over 1,100, Olave's over 1,000, London's over 800, Pickens is over 800. Then you go to the second-year guys, Waddle's over 1,400, Smith is over 1,300, Chase is over, Chase is a stud, we all know, over 1,200, and St. Brown is over 1,100. So they have got to find a way, especially considering they didn't address this in free agency or via trade, they got to find a way to make Taekwon Thornton at least an important part of the offense. If he's not like having these type of seasons, obviously, but we need to see him be impactful. Like they have to find a way to weaponize that speed, which we never really got to see last year outside of like an end around in that game against the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Taekwon Thornton is one of my bullet points. And I'll give them both to you here. One of which is how much weight to Taekwon Thornton and Cole Strange put on because we could go, okay, who are going to be our year two candidates? And sometimes watching mini camp, you go, oh, it's Trey Nixon, seventh round pick, year two. He's going to take off you two great days of practice. You put the pads on in the summer and goodbye, Trey Nixon, because he just fades back to the practice squad. That's the player that he is. Sometimes you get to see Mac Jones, all, you know, even Bill Belichick pumping the tires in year two, Mac Jones. We all saw how that went. So there's only so much you can learn by mini camp. But when you look at the size, Cole Strange has talked about, it's difficult for me to put weight on. He held up really well against Cameron Hayward in week two at Pittsburgh. It was great. After that, he had a real issue with certain bull rushes and got benched in games midseason and came back around. But like he's got the, the, the functional athleticism down, not a problem. The right approach, the right mentality, the work ethic, all that stuff. He just needs to get bigger and stay bigger and you learn how to use that strength. So how much weight have they both added on? Because I think that'll portend well for them as a potential year two leaps. And they're going to need Thornton to provide that, that kind of deep speed. For me also, what's the plan B at corner? Because they could still be in the market in the summer, but that's a position you don't really want to be in the trade market for and have a need because it's just like offensive tackle. Everyone would love to have an extra corner. To me, Jack Jones is at best your plan B. I think you'd rather have another starter opposite Jonathan Jones. So again, I mentioned might not even play corner, but those are issues where I think things could devolve quickly if you still have an issue with you know, Cole Strange or Tyquan Thornton staying at the same level 
or you're looking at one of the most important positions on the roster and going, we got appreciably worse, even if Jalen Mills didn't play after Thanksgiving. Yeah. It, there's a lot of question marks when it, when it, when you look at this cornerback position, and as I alluded to earlier, especially with the receivers, and, and like, what do you think the plan is going to be for Taekwon Thornton? Like 5,000, 7,000 calories a day? How much does that guy need to eat to put on weight? Because he looks tiny to me, man. Like he looked, and he's got like, I don't want to like get too into like his build, but it's not like he's got wide hips or broad shoulders. Like it doesn't oh, he, really he look like he makes Gumby look like he could go into the world's strongest man competition. And like, I tweeted <laughs> out the other day that he's 6'3", and everyone's like, oh my God, there's no way. I'm like, you look at the dude, he's appreciably taller than I am, and flat six foot and he measured six two at the combine but 181 stretched out to six two six two and a half whatever you know is is really thin so he's never going to put on a ton of weight i don't want to get into the tiny wrist conversation his body composition like he can play receiver i think he just needs to show up and find a way to still get, again get off press be better at the top of his routes like the release package could always be expanded a little bit um but hey whatever plan ted harper by the way i learned today Devin mccordy's retirement ceremony Purdue alum, really tough break for, for Ted Harper, team nutritionist turn the tournament. Um, <laughs> that whatever plan Tyquan Thornton's on, I, I would love to be on. That's just that's just never gonna happen. Um, one thing here is we go to one thing that's been under discussed. This is not my choice, but I but I kind of wrestled with this for two things we need to learn is do they have a really solid answer at punter? But if you don't care about this, Brian, as a guest, you get to drive the car now uh for a second. We don't have to discuss this. But there was a graph of the best punters by EPA that went around Twitter late season. The last two punters on those graphs were Jake Bailey and Michael Pilardi of the New England Patriots. Is this a big problem? Is this a focus for you? Something we need to learn or something that's under-discussed? I just think they got to find one. I mean, like, I can't believe the trouble that they had at punting last year. Like, well, when that was going on, one, it but was... is it, is it a big pressing deal? Like they, they clock, you know, Chris board's going to help on special teams. Cody Davis is back. Slater's back. Like the coverage issue should be okay. But the punting, is it a big problem to you? Yeah, it kind of is based on what happened last year. And when you don't have a high powered offense, you have a good defense. You don't have a great defense, right? I mean, some of the numbers would tell you they were great last year you can't be losing the special teams game. And that's so like uncharacteristic of this organization. And it happened a lot last year. And a lot of it has to do with the ineptitude of the punters. Yeah. I'm with you. I just, I don't have much more to add, which is why I ended up ditching it that we just, we, we brought it back and you drove us into punter town anyway, uh, because yeah, it was really bad. It needs to be better. I think they'll draft one. This is a class that my understanding is doesn't have many drafting, uh, you know, drafting pick caliber players, players worthy of a draft pick, but uh, we shall say one term Rutgers. So if Fandle has the odds about the Rutgers punter getting drafted by Bill Belichick, I am sure they're like minus 10,000. Last one, one under discussed storyline for the 2023 Patriots. I will lead off here. It's extensions and it's for players in the 2020 class, most notably in the last year of their deal, Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Mike Onwenu. I think they would love to keep around. And a year later, uh, he's not extension eligible now, but Ramondre Stevenson, we'll see. But I think, you want to get ahead of that now, given Kyle Duggar as a leader and a player to a key position with how productive he was. And Josh Uche, who might break the bank next year. If you can get them on long-term deals, I think that's good business for a team that is right now ranked dead last, Brian, in cash spending for their 2024 books. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had the exact same one. Who's getting hey. extended was, is what I wrote down. Uche, breakout year, 11 and a half sacks. 24.1% win rate, Callahan, fourth among edge players behind Bryce Huff, Miles Garrett, and Joey Bosa. I mean, think about that company. He was ahead of Nick Bosa. Now I get it. Like the attention's on Judon, right? Like it's he's yeah. a different than these other guys. 
but certainly he came onto the scene last year. And Duggar now, like I referenced the leadership early, he's one of the leaders of the team and he can do so many different things, right? I mean, you look at him, he's third among safeties and pressures last year. So I look at those two guys in particular and say, get something done now or else you're going to be in a situation next offseason where you need to get these guys extended. So you might as well take advantage of it now. And you hit on these two guys in the draft. So you might as well make sure they're not going anywhere. And here's the tell on this, which will be harder to discern from the people at home. If you hear or see on Twitter or I report it that say Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche changes their agents coming up, that will tell you they're looking for a very big deal. And I'm not saying it makes it less likely to happen in New England, but that will tell you they've got their eyes set on a big next contract, whether it comes to the Patriots or not, TBD. Uh, the Patriots do have a sweet spot. It's usually late summer, right before the season starts. Jonathan Jones, Shaq Mason got deals done then. That could be the wait for either one of those players, but it is a big topic. All right, we'll get you out on one mailbag question because we have run over your time. But I promised Michael last week via DM, and I, I forgot him. His question to me, which I'm now passing on to you, is, quote, how do you think the Pats will supplement the Juju signing? Do you see Juju playing exclusively in the slot? My answer is no. Uh, could the Patriots still target JSN, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, or Zay Flowers in the draft to the top three receivers? Or would they target a boundary receiver like Quentin Johnson? He's, of course, forgetting Jordan Addison of USC. Um, I just did the director's cut of that question. I said I would not answer, but now you have all of my answers. So anyway, the floor is yours. No, I don't think he'll primarily use him on the slot, although he's been really productive there. Obviously, Gusecki's going to get opportunities in the slot as well because that's where he lines up a ton. But I would say at 14, if you can get uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, like I would be very intrigued by that. I mean, basically, I, I mean, you look at his numbers from two years ago. He was, by PFF's metrics, like the best receiver at the collegiate level with all these guys that went in the first round. So he may be undervalued if he gets there at 14. So... I know Bill has missed in the draft with receivers before, but if it was me, I would go ahead and do it again. In fact, I sit in there at 14 because what we've seen is that's now one of the premium positions in the NFL. And this is the new cheat code in the NFL receivers on rookie contracts that aren't getting paid a ton. Look at what Debo and Ayuk, they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago when those guys weren't paid yet. Now, of course, Debo signed. But we see this happen across the NFL. Why can the Eagles trade for A.J. Brown when they had Devontae Smith? Because he's on a rookie contract. So these guys are the new Chico, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. So if that guy's there, go get him. I like it. In Ohio State's Pro Day, we're Jackson Smith and Jigma. And I flipped his last name, the hyphen, last episode. So I'm sure it's in the comments somewhere. But I apologize for that. I still have time to prep for the draft, as we alluded to at the top. The Patriots will have a presence at Ohio State's Pro Day. Scheduled for tomorrow, Wednesday, March 22nd, 11 a.m. Perhaps you're listening to this after that, but um, they're going to have eyes on a potential receiver that uh, Brian just identified as a possibility at 14. I would lean a perimeter receiver, probably late day two, maybe early day three. I think they're very content. Uh, as you heard me discuss in the intro, we have receiver less than the rest of us, but such is life in New England. Okay, this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast has been brought to you by FanDuel. The exclusive wagering partner of CLS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston. And again, $200, $200 in bonus bets. Just put down five to 10, and that's it. You can use it on March Madness. Huskies play again on Thursday. Or the Bruins, as Brian said, uh, defenseman to score at any time. Brian, it has been great to have you at any time. Thank you for giving us a couple extra minutes here, and we will talk uh, probably about FanDuel at some point in the near future, my friend. All right, Callahan. Thanks so much, man. And good luck to your Huskies on Thursday night. Appreciate you, guys. This was fun. 